No, it's the pupil referral unit. Until another place becomes available? No, that's it. End of the line. Still a school, though, eh? Well, that's debatable. Probably got bare-knuckle fighting for PE and shank-making for DT. Can't be that bad. But it is. I don't really want him in a room full of other problem kids. It's gonna be like... loads of bad eggs in one basket. Like an Asbo omelette. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial corner street catch-up podcast that can't quite remember how we're supposed to do this. I'm Gavin. <laughs> y me llama es Ellen. <laughs> Buenas noches. Mucho gusto. Eh, blah, 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 the talk of the street. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've been watching an awful lot of Spanish cinema. so And some of it I have to watch without subtitles. So I finally broke down and got Duolingo and have been brushing up on my Spanish. Well, you've been sick. Right. It's one of the one of the many things I've been occupying my time with while you've been down for the count. Yeah, that's been absolutely noticeable there. See. Si. Right. <laughs> We're back. Yes. Money funsters after what I think has been like one of the sickest times of my life yeah no it was terrifying <laughs> it was yeah. terrifying seeing you in that bed just kind of near death I, I don't know if i don't think i was close to death but you were sicker than i've ever seen you yeah and you were asleep most of the time i <clears throat> i had chicken pox when i was 29 and i think it's kind of well established that when you get chicken pox later in life it yeah. I don't know if it's serious, but it really hits you, and it really hit me, and it hit me during uh, one of the the Gulf Wars that was on the news twenty four seven. So right. I was kind of watching, sitting up watching TV in this fucked state, watching Baghdad getting destroyed, which was a really, really strange state of mind to to end up being in. This wasn't like that, but no. it was kind of worse. It was like I was lying in bed. Desperate for a drink, I can see a glass that's two feet away from my head, mm-hmm. and I don't have the energy to reach out and get it. Yeah, and and there's so little I can do to help you. Yep. I can't touch you. I have not touched you in over a week. I've barely seen you. Yeah, <laughs> I've been sleeping in Benny's room in the bottom bunk. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been upstairs. It is, it's, it's some, it's the most distressing way to get sick, I think, is, is something where the people who love you can just do the bare minimum to try and help you. Yeah. It I'm, just makes it more distressing for everybody. And I think of when Stella had it and she was, she, she was wasn't sick Kevin, at all. Yeah. Right? She was quite happy. She was in a room for like a week and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. She said to me, if I do this for the rest of my life, I'd be quite happy about it. 
She was the same with lockdown, though, too. Yeah, but being... But you were actually sick, whereas she was not when she had it. Yeah, proper sick. Proper that was, sick. That was, but that was no fun. And, but anyway, and you're still not 100%. No. The most I've spoken in the last sort of two weeks, ten days or whatever, is I did a demo at work. I went into work, well, I logged into work on Tuesday right. to do this demo, and I talked for 15 minutes, and I needed to go to sleep for two hours after it. Right. So, so if I fall asleep in the middle of this... <laughs> We'll, we'll see why. how this goes. And we are like, both masked up. I think people can tell. Room. You you can sound it through my, my headphones. I don't know if I do, but you don't you do. sound you don't sound it at all. I've got a K ninety five on though, and you've just got the reg, the regular surgical mask. So right. oh, oh well. Oh well. We better preamble, my dear, because we've got a shit ton to get through. We we do because I watched it all last night. I can't. No, I love Coronation Street, and even I, I think would struggle to watch two weeks worth of Coronation Street in, in one, one night. Evening. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. And and then I watched the new Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers movie. Oh, so. a, a, a veritable uh, ginger was... swab of the mind. <laughs> it was actually quite good, but anyway, love this stuff. Yes, give us some of that pandemic coin news. Chesney becomes an uncle. Joseph Aston, brother of... A chunkle? An uncle. A chunkle. (laughs) Joseph Aston, brother of Sam Aston, and no stranger to the cobbles himself, welcomed daughter Roxanne this week. This makes two babies in one month for the Aston family because Sam's wife just had a baby earlier this month. Wow. Lots of babies. Lots of Aston babies. (laughs) The week of May 30th, Corey will get a brief time change, moving back to 7.30 to make room for Britain's Got Talent semi-finals. God. Ooh, semi-final week. Are you mm. excited? Uh, for Britain's Got Talent? No, not at all. I, don't, I wasn't <laughs> aware that people were still watching that. Did you know uh, um, there was like an Americanized version of Eurovision I on did. America? Yeah. And it I can't f- imagine that was very good. It flopped horribly because... You didn't say. Because America just can't do camp. We just can't. We're just not gay enough. Well, which is the Eurovision has sad. been has built on this over six decades. Right. Yeah. There's not something you can just start by saying we're going to create this wonderfully camp phenomenon. Right. And expect people to pick up and run with it. This has been carefully uh, built and nuanced and changed over years and decades of winners after winners after winners so to to expect that magic to just mm-hmm. be in a bottle for what was it like a kind of state right vision thing right yeah, and, and even that you know apparently it was a lot of folk music and country and western although a k-pop group was the winner so all is right with the world your vision was good this year i enjoyed it yeah. However, I was delirious at the time. So, Huzzah, Ukraine. I guess this means that Ukraine must continue to be a country, at least until next year's Eurovision. So, well, it's kind of cruel. Back, the, it, it back ma- the fuck off, Russia. It makes them uh, need to... They need, they need to host it. Right. Yeah, so they need to continue to be a country. UK did very well. They did. They had a good song. There was lots of good songs. There was. It feels like everybody kind of conspired behind UK's back and said, "All right, okay, we're all set up with hosting this thing. Let's make UK host it." And then that backfired. 
Oh, yeah. With Ukraine winning. Yeah, with the, <laughs> with the public vote, because the UK were winning at the end of the judges' vote. Right. It was good. Did yeah. you watch it? I've seen bits of it. That's all you need. Because I was watching something else at the time. Probably another Pedro Almodovar movie. And finally, speaking of talent, Corey is losing a major one as Melanie Hill is quitting the soap after seven years of playing R. Kathy. Sad. Very sad. In light of the COVID pandemic, Melanie has decided now is the time to focus on her family and we wish her all the best. Who's going to knock random people down in the street now? <laughs> Gail. Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she had to rush up and take care of her 88-year-old mother the other week. And she's like, if I was still on the show, I wouldn't be able to do things like that. Right. Because the soap just kind of sucks in your entire life and, and you're on this rigid thing. So instead, she'll take on projects and, and not be irregular on anything. Although it does sound like there will be an open door in case she ever wants to come back. And that's good. Because yeah, Alex and Brian will still be on the show. Kathy's uh, story trajectory hasn't been very much over the last few years, which she had a trolling thing. Right. Which wasn't and then, great. And that led her to move in with Yasmin, wasn't right. it? And then, and then she really started hoarding it. again. Yeah, I think she could probably have been one of those characters that just crops up every every month or so for a couple of scenes, doesn't really do anything and just right. goes through the motions. But Which is a total waste of her talent. Absolutely. Yeah. So we wish her all the best. Yes, we do. And now we will podcast for coffee. We're drinking them well. I'm drinking my own coffee. You're mm. not drinking coffee. Yeah. I'm drinking coffee. I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. I, I intend to sip through this mask. Oh, <laughs> I did the hanger reflex this morning. You tried it yet? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. You take a, a, a clothes hanger uh-huh. and you stretch it and you put it on your head. And Why? And you will involuntarily turn your head. <laughs> And it's a thing. And it's true. And I've, because you know about it, you kind of, <laughs> you manage to stop yourself, but you can, you feel your head wanting to turn. That's very weird. It's all over TikTok. I see I'm down with the kids. Anyway, <laughs> we're on our own coffees this week. If you think this podcast is worth any more than the time it takes to consume, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. If you don't want to do that, why not just leave us a rating and a review on the podcast provider of your choice? Both would be equally welcome. But please, buy us coffee. But buy us coffee. Because Gav's been sick. Gav's been sick and I've been so having to sick. do all the grocery shopping and taking care of the household and stuff while he's been down for the count. So I, we could we could use a little extra coffee money. You're begging for coffee? I'm begging for coffee. Oh, why not? Why not? And now Helen's favourite section is <laughs> YouTube's. <laughs> This is a section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. We are through 800 subscribers this week. So nice. we're getting tantalisingly close. My target for 1,000 uh, subscribers by the end of the month and 500,000 views by the end of the month is looking a little optimistic. I think we'll be close, but we won't be quite there. 
So what's new on the, the channel, the regular stuff, there's last week's podcast, there's last night's Corey in under four minutes, which was very useful this morning, so I was trying to catch up with Corey from two weeks ago. And my three favourite clips from this week's episodes is another Corey life story. This is on Samir Rashid, the Moroccan waiter, Mrs Deirdre and Tracy's walking kidney donor. These are low effort for me to do. Right. Because it's two scenes, their first scene and their last scene thrown right. together, so... That's why these are a thing. Right. If that tickles your fancy, head over to youtube.com slash the Tucker Street Podcast, smash that subscribe button and harvest the vital organs involuntarily off that notification bell. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about lamb chunks. Lamb chunks. I have a vague memory of this, but I can't place it. That's right. This was astonishing work from Ronnie, chatting to Jenny and making her making the phrase "being elbow deep in lamb chunks" absolutely oh. dripping in sexual innuendo. Yes, now I remember. I How could I forget? Lamb chunks. Wow. And I think he was wearing that shirt that he was wearing this week, where he had the top like seven or eight buttons mm-hmm. undone. Yeah, and you can see his forearms. Hmm. I was Gavin, and you were pleased to announce that you'd been casting knives out too. Because at the time, everyone was being cast in knives out too. That knives was... out too was last year's Greta Gerwig's Barbie or the Oppenheimer movie, which is where everybody is cast this year. We were very briefly excited about the zombie movie Army of the Dead until we actually watched it. <laughs> it was so bad. And we were at the Mayor of Easttown stage of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We'd been to a virtual real town poetry reading where I had to start like three times because the video feed kept on dropping. And you were initially doing it from a, a park. parking lot. Yep. And you'd been in the newspaper where you told lies about me. <laughs> Not a such thing. Yep. <laughs> I told truths about you, and then the writer decided to alter things hmm. for some reason. Daisy's like a bloodhound when she realises there's been chemistry going on in the rovers that no one's told her about. Homeless Carol makes a shock return and is quickly established as a pawn in Sean's pyramid scheme shenanigans. Natasha had about as much of the sinkhole as she prepared to take and offers to fix it, where the residents of number eight behave like they were waiting for her to do so. Asha reveals a cunning plan to get ITV Corey to admit to the role that he played in Seb's murder. Tyrone and Alina plan to buy a flat they spend half a week complaining about as Hope and Ruby go shoeless. Kathy has taken to collecting old pizza boxes while Tim's mum worries that all the hot flushes in the house could heat the entire street. Steve falls off his bike and his face lands in a bucket of grease. Sharon's blatant attempts at espionage continue to go unnoticed while Sam does his best to kidnap himself as Gail wraps herself in seaweed. Dev... Fabrizes himself, Ronnie's shut buttons don't work, and Addy's controller is hidden with the luxury crisps. Our moment of the week was Audrey pished on the couch talking about the 60s to Sam, and our boring moment of the week was Harvey explaining what tags are to Sharon. It's hilarious that last year, at this time, Gail was wrapped in seaweed when, this year, she's confused about the concept of Sally getting wrapped in seaweed. <laughs> yeah, she's forgotten all about that somehow. <laughs> Isn't that strange, Helen? It is strange. It's almost like it. Consistency is not an issue here in this in this soap opera. It's almost like we're the only people that watch this fucking show. 
And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year, shall we dive in, my dear? I don't know. How are you feeling? Yeah, I feel like it's been an effort. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's try to get through some of this at least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. That's the answer. <laughs> so will we recap briefly what happened the week that we missed? Sure. I watched all of it last night, so it's all one week to me. Okay, so feel free to <laughs> chime in then. Summer knocked back Addy to go uh, on a date with Aaron, but ended up breaking up with him when she tells him about his eating disorder, and he seems to be very cage about this. He seems to have an eating disorder of his own that nobody's talking about. Or he had someone very close to him from the group that had an eating disorder and died and he doesn't want to go through that again. So he's like, let's, let's keep this, let's keep our friendship just to the group because he's trying to save himself that heartbreak again. That's go. what I think. Option two. Uh, Addie wonders why Summer judges her worth against her schoolwork, which I think was probably my moment of the week last week. I thought that was a great little scene. It was very good. The Undertaker still snoring. Mary's lightsaber noises and uh, the Undertaker saying, I am your father to Eileen, which made her throw up in her mouth a little bit. Right, yeah. Of, of all of the Darth Vader things he could have said to her, mm -hmm. that was the least appropriate. He could have said, bring her to me. Right, yes. Or, or the force or is something strong that he actually said. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob got a job in sales. Woohoo! Because he's very good at selling things. Yeah, that was he Kirk's storyline, remember? He was a very good... He's a very good... Yes, and Kirk gets to go back to packing, which is a relief for him. Total reset for the, the Kirk storyline. <sighs> Abby gained evidence that Ben was on the muck as well. Yes. And blacks, blackmails him to turn on Imran. Yes. Kayla admits to paying Abby's legal fees mm -hmm. and Toy and Imran arrange a naming ceremony for Alfie. Heesh. I thought that uh, Ben's uh, outing as being a, a drug user was right. uh, super contrived. Very much so. He comes out of the lawyer's office. He's straight on the phone on a street where he has been surveying somebody. Right. He's straight on the phone, and and audibly. And saying, Abby just happens to be there. Right. He says the time and place of the of the drug deal. And Abby's basically standing in the middle of the street filming it and nobody notices. Right. It's, yeah. it's just... Hilarious. Mm. Have you ever been to a naming ceremony? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever been to a christening either. I've been to a christening. Never been to a naming ceremony. It didn't feel like it's a thing. <laughs> it did feel very contrived. I've heard of it, but... Well, we'll get to the specifics nobody... of the naming ceremony right. in this week's show, which yes. there are there is plenty to talk about. Yes, there is. Uh, Peter discovered from a whistle-blowing Aggie that Mr. Thorne gambled on his operation and also somehow, because that wasn't shocking enough, if, if you think that's shocking, that wasn't shocking enough, so they had to up the ante a bit by having him be this kind of Hannibal Lecter character where he was taking selfies whilst holding uh, dodgy, Peter's engorged liver. The dodgy liver, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that that's hygienic to bring your phone... Which you also take to the bathroom into a hygienic, uh, you know, pristine area like a surgery. Yeah. And and does not seem to think there's anything wrong with that. It, that's the thing that shocks me so much is that. Uh, 
it's the number of people that are in that room right as that operation is happening and presumably he's done this before right. but none of them seem to care okay right. or everybody's too afraid of losing their job to say anything uh or someday punching somebody else last week happened when peter punched thorn but he gets out of the charges being pressed by dropping his complaint against thorn on the understanding that thorn retires which when- is dumb because it wasn't peter's complaint to begin with it was aggie's whistleblowing Peter only found out about it after the investigation had already started. So Peter saying, I don't want this investigated, should have no standing on the investigation. Right. Uh, Thorne announces he's offered a job in Philadelphia, of all places. Good luck to him there. So Peter decides to gather some evidence, yes. He's uh, living on the block with uh, the Fresh Prince, apparently. (laughs) Tyrone still loves Fizz. Shock. And Tim lies and tells Sally that he's been to the doctor. Duh. And that's pretty much what happened two Last weeks week. ago, right? Yeah. All right, so jumping into this week then with our first storyline this morning is the lame ceremony. <laughs> I wrote most of these titles uh, whilst... Delirious. Uh, delirious, yeah. yes. I thought it was naming, name-o, lame-o, yeah, that works. <laughs> And then you look at it in the cold light of day and you think, eh, maybe not so much. Hmm. On Monday, everyone's getting ready for the naming ceremony thing, except Imran, who has to remind everyone that he needs to quickly nip into the office first. Imran quickly nipping into the office first is rarely a good sign. No. Meanwhile, at Nina's rolls, Abby's getting ready for the meeting with the lawyers and with Imran. Mm-hmm. Kev is there for company and offers to be there for moral support, but Abby would rather do without, can't say I blame her, and no. show Imran the size of her literal balls. Right. Correct. Kev was kind of a dick about that whole thing too. No. He's like, he's like, you want me to be there? Dot, dot, dot. As a mate. Right. <laughs> it's like, don't um, take this as I want to reconcile our marriage. Yeah, and I definitely don't want to shag you at this meeting. No. I'll just be there no. as a mate. Yeah. Fucking Kev. <laughs> Abby! Oh, I can still do that, thank goodness. Oh, yeah. Elliot and Abby turn up at Imran's office. Ben is already there that no one seems to mention anything about. Um, Imran is in a rush to get on, but because Abby is a cow and she knows that the naming ceremony thing's happening, she decides that this will take as long as it's going to take and asks for some coffee. So Imran takes time to feed and water everyone. Elliot reveals the purpose of the meeting. He has evidence that Imran lied to the court about Abby buying drugs. What evidence is this? asks Imran. Him, shouts Abby, pointing at Ben. No English, says Ben, and he claims to have no idea what the fuck no, Abby's... No, English. There we go. What the fuck Abby is jabbering on about. Abby threatens to kill Ben as Imran yawns and announces that he's bored of all this now, and Elliot drags Abby away. No one drank their coffee. Once everyone's gone, Ben pipes up. Well, that was funny, says. Oh, shut up, Ben, says Imran. And I yeah. really hope that, oh, shut up, Ben, becomes a thing. Back at Nina's roles, Abby explains to Elliot that she threatened Ben by taking pics to the cops and his boss. So blackmail and witness intimidation then, says Elliot. Yeah, I don't think this is going to fly. No. Sounds bad when you put it like that, says Abby. This shit is over, says Elliot. Meanwhile, Leanne meets Imran and Toy ahead of the naming ceremony thing and the three of them head off. Meanwhile, Abby wants to rip Ben's kidneys out of his cock end. Wait till your boss hears about you being back on the muck, says Abby. He already knows, says Ben, and he reveals that his new boss is Imran. Yeah, that's convenient. Nothing personal, he says. Meanwhile, Adam and Ben complaining about the fact that 
because of his picadillos and Imran's picadillos, they haven't had very much income coming in. And then they've got to hire a new guy. Yeah. They're uh, hemorrhaging money. Right. They can't get any clients. And no. they're, they're going to pay this dodgy paralegal now. Right. Who has already gone from being this super investigative guy. Right. To being this. Druggy. Kind of shitty druggy guy now who's just desperate for, for a job. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Poor Ben. Not really. No. At the naming ceremony, Toy explains to Kelly and the audience what a naming ceremony is. It's all ready to start when Abby shows up. Change of plan, she says. Room for a small one. And Toya is thrilled. And the deliberate lameness factor of the ceremony is really played on here as we learn that Leanne is going to read a poem and Kelly's going to light a candle. <laughs> right, yeah. Just a traditional naming ceremony then. Right, yeah, where we read a poem and... and who lit, who lit a candle at your naming ceremony? <laughs> I didn't have one. No. I didn't have a christening either, though. So I think cause... I had a christening. I think I did. Oh, that's interesting. I think I did. I get that was more of a Catholic thing. And you know what? There's nobody to ask. So Imran politely takes her to one side and asks her what the fuck she's playing at. Abby insists that she's playing fair. She finally knows she hasn't liked to stand on here and she officially offers another truce. She just wants to be here for Alfie's big day. Imran accepts her unconditional surrender and for the rest of the ceremony, Abby becomes my mum on the phone to people that she doesn't know by talking very politely to people. Hmm. So the laming ceremony gets underway and we learn that Leanne and Kelly and Kelly are to be Alfie's life mentors. Right. Instead of godparents. Mm -hmm. Right, because we're trying to be very, very... Secular. Yes. Is that the right term? Secular? I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you just turned so, everything out, you so, know. I, not, I, you know, and I know. I mean, Imran is still technically Muslim, isn't he? He's not practicing. You know, he had that talk with the dad about um, about Eid. about yeah. So. And he was very quick to knock that back. Right. Even the merest yeah. suggestion that he was going to go to evening prayers. It 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 smacks a little bit of. Of of Daniel and Sinead's first wedding, which was not a legal wedding, where Kirk married them under a tree. Remember that? <laughs> Phil's dressed as Batman. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what this feels like. It feels like something just kind of cobbled together to not offend anyone. Yeah. But we're going to have a poem. Right. And we're going to light a candle. There will be a lit candle at some point. Right. So if that triggers you in any way then you can remove right. yourself yeah. Leanne and Kelly as life mentors let's let's examine that just for a second <laughs> uh, former prostitute Leanne and uh, and recent drug dealer Leanne to be uh, life mentor number one mm-hmm. Kelly who was involved in the murder of uh, of Seb just a year Alfie's ago Alfie's brother is life mentor number two right and and former drug user and homeless person, yeah, Kelly. This is all fine, right? A daughter of <laughs> loan daughter shark of criminal, right? Rick the Chin, probable murderer, yeah, probable, yeah, once or twice, yeah. So as the ceremony goes on, Abby looks jealously at the baby in Toya's lap, right? Give the baby to Abby while you're she's sitting there, there, right? She's, she's there. there. She's 
showed up give her the baby during the ceremony. It's like Toya has been so concerned with how all of this looks and how it looks like she's this baby snatcher. Mm-hmm. And yet she doesn't think, oh, Abby's here. I should let her hold the baby during this ceremony. Not, not even the baby. Her baby. Right. Her baby. Right. This baby is sleeping soundly yep. during his naming ceremony. Because mm-hmm. he's been fed with gin. Drink gin. And also because naming ceremonies are lame. Yeah. <laughs> or at least this one is. After the ceremony, Abby asks to take a photo of Alfie as a keepsake, and Toya, who can't fall for this quick enough, grants her approval and allows Abby to take her special photo of Abby in his cot, not even picking him up, not even Alfie. touching him. What did I say? Abby. Abby's not sleeping in the cot. She's a wee bit too big. Imran is suspicious, but Abby reminds him of the terms of her truce, and he apologises while she looks cocky. She asks how his new paralegal is working out, when Imran looks like he doesn't think this sounds like something someone who has just surrendered would say, she claims she was just joking. Then she leaves a little toy jobby for Alfie with Toya and she rushes off, claiming to have enjoyed her day. Toya reminds her to sign the memory book. So, right, yes. our leaving ceremony consists of the poem, the lit candle, two inappropriate life mentors and a memory book. Right, and this a non-denominational officiant. Right. Yet if- another job. They refuse to give Billy. <laughs> Back at <laughs> poor Billy. Back at home, Imran reveals that he's not buying this Abbey business, but Toya thinks that she seemed genuine. The battle is over. Imran looks forlornly down at the wee jobby toy. Meanwhile, Abby Which says mummy. Did it? Yeah, so it m- mummy is written in the heart. Oh nice. Which is nice. Meanwhile, Abby is meeting a shady bloke in the ITV studio's car park, handing over some <laughs> envelopes. You could get the bother for this, says the shady bloke. I'm already in jail, says Abby. This is my breakout. And I think at this point we'd worked out what was going on here. Mm. Had you? She's, she's getting a passport for right. Alfie. Right, Yeah. So on Wednesday, Ben's got the coffees at the law office and he explains how pissed Abby was yesterday when she learned of the new employment arrangement. And this surprises Imran, who thought that she seemed okay with it. Abby finds Toy and Alfie at Nina's rolls. After some polite chit-chat, Abby asked to take him for a walk on the Red Wreck. Toya isn't sure and offers to go with, but Abby doesn't like the insinuation that she's a nutbag who can't be trusted with her own son. Mm-hmm. Toya promises that she doesn't think that, but she does think that, and Abby lays it on so thick that Toya is forced to agree to Abby getting some unsupervised time with her own child. And I was thinking at this point, Toya's response should be, you'll need to speak to Imran about this. He's the one who was granted custody. Still. Toya just wants everybody to get along because she's afraid of how this looks, which, you know, maybe should have been a consideration before they started this whole thing. Yeah. This, however, did give us a scene with Abby and Toya kind of on their own together. Right. Where if there was any cahoots going on between the two of them, I think we'd have got a bigger clue Right. to it then and there, and there wasn't any no she was toy was very uncertain about it and really felt pressured into agreeing to what no if anything suggesting. there are three separate plots going on here abby has a plot right imran has a plot and toya has a plot yep imran comes along later and wonders where alfie is and goes ballistic when toy explains that abby has taken him to the red wreck 
he shits himself when she doesn't answer her phone and then gets Toya to call her because thinking that she's more likely to answer Toya's call. Toya thinks this is an overreaction, but Inman imagines that she could be on a plane by now. Thanks for nothing, Toya. And Inman is really kind of pissed off at, at Toya here. He really is. It, it's just... He keeps overreacting at these things. And, I mean, I, a part of me is like, well, yes, he should be overreacting to these things, but... So much of this is his fault that things have escalated this badly between right. everyone. It's kind of like, well, look in the mirror, pal. But no sooner has Toya done that than Abby appears back in the street with Alfie. She explains that she was off feeding the ducks. She turned her phone on the silent because she didn't want the ducks disturbed. And doesn't have to explain herself to Imran anyway. Talk about trust, she says, and she storms off as Toya apologises for him and Abby looks a little bit smug again. What were they feeding the ducks? And and what what part was Alfie playing in all this? Right, yeah. Alfie was not feeding the ducks. No, no. Those, those ducks went hungry. <laughs> Back home, Councillor Toya has to have a word with a man about his behaviour and about trust and about giving people goals have those people attain those goals and then still treating the people like they haven't achieved the goals that you set them. Imran promises to do better. And Abby is in the community garden on the phone to the dodgy bloke talking about dodgy passports. Seemingly they should arrive next week, so that's quite exciting, isn't it, Helen? Hmm. That's as far as we get with that. Hmm. It's a, a little bit of a set-up week in terms of this storyline and the only thing that really had was the naming ceremony, which I think was deliberately made out to be as lame as possible. Yeah. Yeah, because absolutely. Toya. Because well, isn't Toya lame? But it wasn't even Toya's idea, it was Leanne's idea. So if anybody's lame here, it's Leanne. That's a good shout. Yeah, yeah. Back no. off Toya. Oh, I'd... But, no, not you. Right. Just in general. Um, it's, and it's interesting to me that other people on the street seem to be taking sides now. Whereas before, everybody was against Abby. Or it seemed like everyone was against Abby. Right. Now people are like... Because when she brought him to the factory and he was wearing that mummy's boy... Right, what is that man thinking there? Wondering. Jesus. He's not. He is completely insensitive, which does not feel like... That's part of his character to be this insensitive, but whatever. But Toya could have changed that child. Yeah, or not taking them into the factory. You know, instead of just throwing a jacket on him. And let's be let's be honest. The only reason that people saw it is because Sean decided that it was was too hot in there. Right, which is not really Sean's business. No, no, and it may be too hot for you, an adult Sean, but that doesn't mean it's too hot for the bebe. Right. Because babies can't really regulate their temperature as well as you an adult can, Sean. So keep your hands off the bebe, Sean. Right. With your dirty, dirty hands. Yeah. Sally thought that the the t-shirt was, uh, the trade descriptions would be all over that shit. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't, but, you know, and it wasn't even just Sally. Beth got some digs in there as well. Like, well, here you are. But, But last week it seemed like Beth, was getting her digs in, or not last week, like a few weeks ago, Beth seemed willing to be on the side of people disparaging Abby. Right. So I think she just likes to disparage whoever is in the room. Now, I didn't think that you needed a passport for a kid that age, but it seems that you do. 
to get out of the country, yes. Right. But... Because I think when I was a kid, I was on my parents' passport. Oh, yeah, but this was before 9-11 when you were a kid. Do you know, that was before 9-11. Yes. A couple of years before. 9-11 yeah. changed an awful lot of stuff because before 9-11, kids could travel without passports. Right. A, a lot of times and stuff. I remember when we went to the Bahamas shortly after 9-11, there was a moment where we were afraid we were going to have to leave Nick behind at the airport because Nick didn't have a passport. But we did have his birth certificate, so so that worked. But in order to get a passport for a child, especially a child that young, both parents have to sign for it yeah. and and agree. Yep, this is this is even it. the case in the UK as well because I, I did some digging on it. Right, because there have been far too many parents who have kidnapped their children and taken them to a country with no extradition. Yep. The only time you don't need to have both parents is if the father is undeclared on the birth certificate. Right, yeah. Or if because only... obviously, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so that's that storyline as we move on into presumably Abby attempting to kidnap her, own, her child. own child next week. So there's something for us all to look forward to, right? Mm-hmm. Our next storyline this morning is Fizzy's Secret. On Monday... Phil with two L's has dropped Fizz off at work and there's chat about meeting after work with dinner with a couple of Phil with two L's nameless friends. Maybe the same people as Cinco Leo's flatmates. I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. Fizz is nervous about meeting new people, but Phil with two L's assures us it'll be fine. And later, Fizz asks anyone to look after the girls. She makes a big deal about it, but agrees. At work, Fizz is still worried about meeting new people. Sean and Beth give her a bit of a hard time for looking like a hag. So Fizz panics and runs away from work in the middle of the day. To get her hair done. Yeah. Beth should not be speaking. Ever. And Sean should not be speaking about blouses. Let's not forget the peacock. <laughs> so the barbers, Fizz is getting her hair done just as Evelyn comes in. Fizz is actually stolen Evelyn's appointment somehow. They chat about Fizz's plans for the evening. Your hair is beautiful, says Evelyn. Told you so, says Maria. But that top looks fucking horrendous, says Evelyn. <laughs> It's me, Dal, Phil with Twelves and introduces Fizz to Graham and Angela, which I think is the most neutral name for friends that they can come up with. Graham and Angela? Graham and Angela, yeah. Fizz is very nervous about this and is overly pleasant to the both of them. Graham and Angela seem harmless enough, although Graham is sure that he's met Fizz before. Hmm. During the meal, Graham just won't let it go and he keeps at it, asking Fizz how he knows her, but then it hits him. He was a solicitor in the prosecution working on the case against John Stape. Thank fuck for that, says Graham. That was really bugging me. But Fizz just wants the ground to open up and swallow her. Graham just makes matters worse by wanting to talk about it constantly, never having met the ex-spouse of a serial killer. Fizz has had enough and runs out, claiming that she needs fresh air, and she tells Phil to just stay where he is. Now, Angela is at least a little sympathetic <clears throat> here, but yeah. Graham, it's like, read the room, pal. Seriously. For a solicitor, I'm, I'm surprised that he's so... Blase. Blase and keen to talk about obviously personal and right. obviously uh, kind of affecting right. subjects. Yes. That's clearly putting, Fizz making Fizz feel, feel right. uncomfortable. But I did appreciate that somebody doesn't know something or somebody remembers something. Right. Because all these things seem to happen in a little bubble on the street right. that... Yeah. You know, they meet other people and nobody's ever heard of all the 
Nobody knows if I heard at the time that Abby blew that car up. Right, right? yeah. Or, or they've all f- forgotten, oh, you're the person that blew that car up. Right. It's nice that somebody knows or, or says that, well, you're the guy, you're the woman who was married to that guy. Right. I, poor, quite, I quite like those little... Poor Fizz, though, because this is the second time John Stape has come up in, in the past couple of years. Yeah, and After he comes up. Dead thing. There are other serial killers on the street. Why does it always have to be John Stape that we talk about? <laughs> I guess. I guess Eileen talks about her serial killer ex-husband as well quite a bit. Yeah, that's kind of done for more for comedy at the moment. Right. Yes. I'm sure that'll... Nothing's more hilarious than murder. That makes me laugh. <laughs> Tyrone happens upon Fizz looking sad in the community garden. You look sad, he says, and he takes her home for a cuppa. So back home, Fizz explains what happened. Tyrone is surprised that she's never mentioned John to fill with two L's. She was worried it would make her look bad, she says. Tyrone is very comforting, telling her that she has nothing to be worried about. All of this is going to work out just fine, because Phil, you know what? He's a nice bloke. He's not he going is. to care. Right. So Tyrone has made Fizz feel better by talking about being scummy with biscuits in nice places. He <laughs> tells her that she did the right thing about telling Phil and John... About John, and just at that, Phil turns up with Fizzy's handbag, or his handbag, or a handbag. And Phil is dead apologetic about it all. Fizz just didn't want him to think bad of her. None of this was your fault, he says, and he knew about it anyway, but didn't want to bring the subject up. Right. Fizz has never spoken about it outside of those walls. No one knows how bad it was, and so they leave. Phil thanks Tyrone. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, says Fizz. And when they're gone, Ty realises that being a good guy... Isn't enough. Because he really wants back with Fizz. Right, yes. Well, it's his own fucking fault. <laughs> so on Wednesday, Fizz is at work complaining about last night's meal, which comes as a surprise to Michael, who finally makes a connection. He's a true crime fan and goes off to see if there's a podcast about the case. This pisses Fizz off more than her misery could be someone's uh, entertainment. Right. Plus, Sean is a total prick. Beth tries to make Fizz feel better, but only succeeds in making matters worse. Beth says that she was only defending Fizz... Fizz points out that she didn't do anything wrong, therefore does not need defending. Thank Correct. you very much. Yeah. And then the rovers later, Fizz is complaining about everything to fill with twelves. Phil decides that they should never go to social events ever again and is understanding to her sensitivity. Phil worries that poor Hope has it the worst because she's inherited John Stapes' baggage hefty surname. Right. Fizz thanks Phil with twelves for his ear, goes off for a shite, just as Phil gets a call from someone mysterious who he has sent an email to. So on Friday, Indina rolls, Phil and Fizz are having breakfast when Michael comes in over to apologise. And then Fizz asks Phil to pick up the girls later, but he's off to Leeds to pick up some stuff for their, uh, was it their patio or something he was doing? Right, yeah, some tiles for the patio. I really like, I really like the use of Michael in this storyline, I have to say. You know, not just the whole, oh, that's right, that guy was from around here. I never made the connection. I never realized that you were blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But also the whole podcast thing. Because I think this is something that people are starting to talk about now. About the popularity of true crime and the popularity of some of these podcasts. Right. Some which are very sensitive to the fact that survivors still exist. Yeah, some less so. And others very much less so. <laughs> right. And, um, and how... It's kind of insensitive to use other people's misery as in, as entertainment. And, you know, I think that's an interesting conversation 
to have, even if, even if it, albeit brief, mm. you know. But it's interesting to hear somebody say, well, I hope there's not a podcast about me because, first of all, you'd think if there was a podcast about this, somebody would have approached me about it. And also, my misery is not someone else's entertainment. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that it was a serial killer, so probably is a podcast about it. Yeah. Probably. Somewhere. So, Phil's going to Leeds. Fizz calls on Tyrone to pick up the girls, and Phil looks shifty as fuck about all of this. So Tyrone has picked up the girls as planned, and as he walks home, he spots Phil in a dodgy bloke exchanging an envelope with Alfie's photographs in them perhaps <laughs> in the community garden Phil is most definitely not in Leeds so later Fizz and Phil visit Tyrone to pick up the kids and Ty starts quizzing Phil about his trip to Leeds clearly uncomfortable Phil goes to get the girls which allows Fizz to ask Ty what he's up to just making conversation here says Tyrone and that's as far as we get with that this week now all this mention of John Stape and confirmation that Phil knew about Fizz and John Stape mm-hmm. previously kind of suggests to me that what's going on here is something that's John Stape related. Really? Yeah, there's, well, there's some, Phil's up to something. Right, but it could just be... And he's up to something shifty. It could be just a nice surprise for Fizz that he doesn't want anybody to know about. It could be something very, very innocent. I think we're being led to believe that it's something I think we're being dodgy, led, yeah. obviously, right? I think we're being led to believe it's something dodgy. But because we're being led to think it's something dodgy, I think it's something very, very innocent, and it's just going to make Tyrone look like a fool. Yeah, quite possibly. Because we've been down this road before. Oh, we're constantly going down this road for right. a new character's introduced, so what is their, their problem? The only one that's kind of avoided that recently is Cinco Leo. Right. Where he had his like dodgy Friends. flatmates, and that was pretty much it. Now we just see him hanging off a uh, Jenny's arm, and occasionally there's nothing really going on there, right? As far as we know, but Phil is made to look shifty about something. Phil, uh, you got to worry about the kind of mental aptitude of these people when they say they're going to be someplace like miles and miles away, but instead they're meeting. Someday on the sly, in the community, in the community garden, garden, in full view in a town of everybody on the street, where they no longer live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, that doesn't make sense. Right. Which again makes me feel like this is actually quite innocent. Whatever it is. I think. Uh, yeah. Tyrone's realization that he still loves Fizz. Obviously, there's a nice right. few lines there where he, he remarks about how pretty Fizz is when she smiles. And right. Even has a go at him for running off with one of the cheeky girls. Well, this is what you right. get, yeah. Sort of thing, and he kind of realizes that he has made this bed, and he must lie in and it. He must alone. lie in it, right? But yeah, maybe that is the that is the the rug that's going to be pulled from under the storyline. Is that mm. that this is just a way for Tyrone to screw up his own reconciliation with us right. by making a big song and dance about this? Kirk warns him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just back in good terms with us. Do you really want to make things worse by right. by accusing their boyfriend of one of the, one of the few intelligent things Kirk has ever said? Right, but then Tyrone could have mentioned it, and then Fizz could have mentioned it to Phil, and we could have found out. So it's right. the, the continuation of the. But instead, you know, he takes it upon himself to ask 
fill all of these leading questions about leads. Ha 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 Anyway. All right, moving on then to our next storyline, which is Gladmax. Not Mad Max anymore. No, now it's Gladmax. So Monday... Let's put away the flaming guitar. <laughs> Max and David turn off in Nina's rolls. David explains to Shona and to us that it's the day of Max's sentencing thing after his guilty plea for... Uh, Spiking Amy's drinks. Now all we have to worry about is him getting into another school, says Shona, because according to David, this is proven harder than he thought. <coughs> Shocker. Right. Later, Max has got off with a year's referral and he's on probation. Could have been a lot worse. David hopes that Should he's learned from his worse. mistakes. Later, it's bad news because Max has been knocked back from the first four choices of school that David's wanted and he's been left with Smeltings, the school that Uncle Vernon wanted to send Harry Potter to. Still a school, <laughs> says Shona. Just about, says David. At least he can't get expelled from there. David isn't sure about him attending a school with other bad eggs and he calls it an Asbo omelette, which I thought was quite funny. Later, Max reveals that one of his mates goes to Smeltings and it's not so bad after all and maybe that's where he needs to be and he looks blasé about it until David realises, until David tells him that he starts tomorrow. Uh-oh. On Wednesday, it's Max's first day and Gail has got my present of a honking new school bag that Max promises to leave in the car or he'll get swirlied before lunch. Which is... There's nothing ex- wrong with that rucksack. It looks exactly like the one... Like the one David, like the one he had already. I thought at some point Gail was going to point out that it was bulletproof or something, that it had some sort of feature that will keep him safe in this dodgy school, which would have been hilarious and fun. Like if it had an inflation device (laughs) or something that would stop him getting swirlied. Right. You know, or just, you know, with a bulletproof panel or something, something that... We'll point out that he's going yeah, to... Taking a- bulletproof things into school isn't, isn't that great. Well, but still, you know, it would be Gail thinking that he's going, his life is in danger or something instead of just, it's just a new rucksack in a slightly different color, which right. looks exactly like the one he already has, with uh, no decoration on it whatsoever. See, I think this has been a kind of sign of Max's uh, socio- sociopathy. Sociopathy. He doesn't think about how Gail's going to feel about him putting this mm-hmm. this uh, rucksack in the trunk of the car and right. accidentally deliberately losing it. Right. Despite the fact that Gail has done some research on it and right. it's supposedly the thing that all the kids have, have got these days because it's a rucksack. Yeah, in a solid colour. And like has, all other... has used hard-end money to buy it. Right. It's like, what a shit. Pure Gail. Most fifteen-year-old kids are shit, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I bought I bought Steli, you know, expensive sneakers that she picked out, which she barely wore. Teenagers are shit when it comes to things like that. <laughs> yes, they are. At the barbers, David is fretting about Max's first day, but when he comes in, he's had a grand old time. The school has been a hit. He's made friends, and there's even talk of a girl who's also in- interested in filmmaking, just like we need to remember that Max was too. Right, yes. On Friday, Anina's rolls, Max tries to chat to Summer, but she still isn't interested, and even though he tells her not to leave on his account, she leaves on his account. Later, he tells David that he realises the magnitude of the task to make amends, but he vows that he's up to it, although he's a little weird when he says that. 
Back at home, Max has received a text from Chris, not journalist Chris. No. And has made arrangements to meet up after his homework is done, and that's as far as we get with that storyline this week. There is some speculation that this is this is the storyline which will allow Max to come out. That it's not the girl that he's interested in, it's this Chris. Oh. Although maybe Chris never thought about that. No. Even though there was speculation that when he spiked Daniel's drink, it was it was not just to make him pass out. Oh. Mm. Oh, isn't that convenient? Mm. Oh, that's far more creepy and shoddy than it even was. And it already was, those things. Yes, it was. Now it's, now it's more of that, if, that, if that's the case. Mm. That it wasn't no accident. No. I'm, I'm pissed he only got probation for, for drugging a girl. I'm not surprised, but I am pissed. Right. You know. Because unfortunately that seems kind of true to life. Oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. So this kind of went hand in hand with the next storyline, which is interview with a fanny. <laughs> on Monday at school, Mrs. Crawshaw grabs a word with Daniel. He's done such a smashing job investing 1,000 man hours into planning the Edinburgh trip. That she we never get to see. She thinks he should apply for a permanent position that's opened itself up. If you need anything else opening up, give me a shout, she says, because remember... Uh-huh. She came on to him. Right. We've kind of forgotten about that. Yes, we have. But we do well to remember it because... Nikki hasn't forgotten, though, because Nikki gives him a hard time later on about this. Right. But here she is having... Propositioned him. Albeit in his house, but Mm -hmm. there was other people present, so essentially in public. And now she's telling him about a job that he needs to apply for and get Mm -hmm. an interview for, and it all seems a little little Mm. dodgy, doesn't it? Yes. At the Rovers, Daniel is down in the dumps. Paul can't believe he's not over the moon about this, especially when Nicky says that Crawshaw wants to have his babies. But Daniel is sad because his family hates him and Daisy won't respond to his texts and they can't even blame them. It's nice that they've remembered that Paul lives with Daniel now. Yeah. That we get to see them actually hanging out. He's getting crowbarred into a few scenes here. It's like they've remembered it, so now they need to keep on remembering it. Right, yes. Nicky sucks a thoughtful tooth here. And decides to go to the florist to plead to Tracy and Ken about Daniel and how he's really down in the dumps. Oh, who gives a fuck, says Tracy. Nikki begs them not to push him away. Ken appreciates it, but Tracy tells her to sling her hook. And at home, Tracy remains furious, but Ken thinks it was a nice gesture and it's good someone's looking out for Daniel. What about Amy? asks Tracy. Oh, fucking drop it, says Ken, whilst Amy looks sad. Hmm. So on Wednesday, Daniel's having a lonely breakfast at Nina Rolls when Ken comes in to check on him. Daniel is confused when Ken cares, but Ken insists that he's Daniel's dad, and so that's why he's forced to give a fuck about this. He thinks Daniel will be a fine teacher, based on nothing, and helps mm-hmm. him crib for his interview. And they learn from Shona that this is Max's first date at his new school, which Ken thinks will keep him out of Daniel's hair, and is a very much a good thing. Yes. Tracy and Amy see, da- see Ken and Daniel coming out of Nina Rolls, all friendly-like, and Tracy has a fit about it. Daniel says he's sorry. So sorry that you're applying for a full-time job at the school where Amy's still at, says Tracy, and she promises to grass him up to Crawshaw. So Tracy goes round to Davis to try and get his support to grass on Daniel, because David's been affected by this as well, what with his uh, son being in Borstal now, she says. Right. That was a very 80s thing to say from Tracy. 1980s. The 1980s. But David's had enough of all this and he's in no hurry to ever see Crawshaw again. 
So back home, Tracy remains furious with Ken. Ken says that he's not doing anything wrong, pointing out that Daniel is sorry. Amy comes in and is unimpressed by all of this. She doesn't want this to tear the family apart. And anyway, none of it's Ken's fault. Amy wants it all left alone and she'll deal with this herself. And Ken is very impressed. Later, Daniel walks by David and Max. Daniel asks about Max's first day and David repays the pleasantness by being a dick about Daniel's interview, which we understand is tomorrow. Mm. Then Tracy goes to see Daniel and she tells him that she didn't grass him up thanks to Amy, who now wants to move on. But Tracy still wants nothing to do with Daniel and tells him to stay the fuck away from her. On Friday, Daniel's in Nina's roles prepping for his interview. Nicky tells him not to stress. Croshaw is on his dick. Daniel is still worried about a Tracy intervention, but he thanks Nicky for having his back. And then he bumps into Amy at the florist and thanks her for hauling back Tracy. Amy points out that she did it for the family and appreciates how sorry Daniel is. Let's look to the future, she says. So she appears to have forgiven. Well, kind of. because she's still, a cautious forgive, forgiveness? Right. She's like, I just, she's not, she's like, I haven't forgiven you. What you did was a dick move. But for the family, I'm willing to move on, you know. She's very quick to say, I didn't do any of this for you. This isn't for you. Right. I still hate you. Because there's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned feud, especially within a family. It would be <laughs> a misstep, I think, for Daniel to be forgiven completely. So at least if Tracy still hates him, right, and the two of them can't be in the same room together, that's yeah. a good thing, because yeah. that's going to cause conflict left, and if right, there's, and centre. If there's something we know about Tracy, it's that she can hold a grudge. She certainly can. And Amy... Yeah, maybe Amy has... Maybe it, it it says how much Daniel is to her mm-hmm. that she can kind of let it go. He's not a big part of her life. Mm-hmm. She can quite happily right. go on without her, without him, yeah, and, and not miss it. No. So at home, Daniel's prepping for his interview by watching Sinead videos. <laughs> Nicky and Paul come in, realizing that he's down in the dumps again, and they do their best to buoy his spirits and put, tell him to put his mistakes behind him. So then it is time for the interview where Crawshaw and two unspeaking extras are, uh, are causing Daniel about what his bi- biggest weakness is, asks Crawshaw. Honesty, says Daniel. <laughs> I don't think honesty is a weakness, says Crawshaw. I don't give a fuck what you think, says Daniel. And he straightens his tie and makes basketball free throw motions. The interview's hilarious. Yeah, it's... Where do you see yourself in five years? <sighs> I don't know. Right. That is a dumb question, though, especially in this day and age, where we could all be dead in five years. <laughs> I got asked that when I applied for the job that I've got, uh-huh. when I was still in Scotland. Where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, you're asking me if where I see myself in five years when I'm today applying for a job in another country. Right. How are you supposed to answer that? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Is it supposed to be that you're giving your, your aspirations and your ambitious you are and all that sort of thing right but you don't want to seem too ambitious because they don't want to hire you and then you're gone right within five years so it's a loaded question question. the other question was uh what was your greatest achievement right and he says i have no greatest achievement right even though he has a son Uh, and has successfully organized an edinburgh trip right yeah could have talked about that and assisted with the protest about the upskirting which everybody has forgotten about yeah and no one faced any consequences for. 
I'm glad that he fucked us up and I'm glad that he's not getting it, but I'd like him to not get it for the right reasons. And right. it feels like he's not getting it for the wrong reasons here. Right. Yeah. Like he's making a decision to fuck it up. Crosha asks him what the fuck he's doing. Daniel wants a job, but doesn't think he's cut out for it anymore. His year has been a disaster for what we Max, Summer and Amy. And that Mr. Osborne is a fanny thing that seems to have taken off. Sorry, you're wasting your time, he says, and he leaves. Other overs, Daniel announces to the bar that he's leaving teaching. David congratulates him and suggests for his follow-up that he leaves the country as well. <laughs> Daisy watches on, pretending not to be interested. Same again, asks Daisy. No, I don't think things will ever be the same again, says melodramatic, melodramatic Daniel. Oi, oi, oi. That's kind of like that uh, scene from Airplane where... It, <laughs> the guy says to Ted Stryker nervous I said, yeah first time no I've been nervous before <laughs> Daniel gets home to find Nicky turning into a duvet he explains that he's fucked his interview and doesn't think he has it in him to be a teacher anymore Nicky tries to talk him round she helped him before she can help him again <laughs> and she grabs his hand pretty much tells him that she loves him and asks if he wants his hole. And he knocks her back. You're all right, thanks, he says. Now, let's pretend that this never happened. Right, yeah. That's as far as we get with that. Because he still loves Daisy. Yeah, Daisy's not out of his system, he says. Nope. And I think he's not out of Daisy's system. Nope. Judging by how she responds to him. Right. But. Poor Nikki. At least, at least he doesn't, at least he doesn't lead her on and use her. As kind of a rebound. Right. Because that would have been a shitty thing to do. Which would have been a Daniel thing to do. But yeah. he, at least in this in this instance, he doesn't do that. Nikki has shown signs throughout her return to the show that despite her claiming that she doesn't have feelings for Daniel, she clearly, clearly very does. much does. But if we learned anything from the whole summer incident, it's that Daniel doesn't catch on to these clues very well. Yeah, he's, he's fairly oblivious to... So oblivious. Except when he wasn't. Because remember, he wasn't with Lydia. Yeah. He but did a lot about chasing there. But I think that's because he was also interested in Lydia, whereas he was not interested in Summer or Nikki. Right. It's only when there's a mutual thing going on that he's aware of it. Yeah, because I think whenever he looks at Nikki, he just remembers that sex cardigan and uh, I don't think he can get by it. Yeah, and how embarrassing it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it was. Yeah. Even he admits it's creepy now. This does beg the question, though, if Daniel's not going to be a teacher, what the fuck is he going to be? (laughs) And maybe David has the right idea here. There's nothing keeping him here. He's got this wedge of cash from his mother's house. He could... Head off and do whatever he wants to do somewhere else. I think somehow he's still going to get that position. Yeah, I think he's going to get it as well. Because let's be honest, nobody is nobody is clamoring to be a teacher these days. The show has taught us nothing other than the fact that he's the only teacher in that school. Right. <laughs> and they don't have a teacher assistant anymore. Right, yeah. And he wasn't even a full-time teacher. Right. Yeah, t- somehow he's... His non-responses to those two questions are going to be are going to make him the prime candidate. Right, it's going to make him appear honest and frank. And I don't know necessarily what it's like in the UK right now, but right now they have to they have to get the National Guard in to substitute teach <laughs> because there, nobody wants to teach anymore because 
because it's just such a shit job where nobody really cares about your health and well-being. They just yeah. want somebody to babysit their kids for eight hours. Yeah. Do you notice that Shona was representing lots of parents who have those kind of opinions right. where you're paid for babysitting and you're, right. you're paid for eight weeks of right. summer get, vacation yeah. time and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You can just, just hear every teacher in the country just their heckles rising at the, right, the, yeah. the mere Grinding thought of, of paid, paid time off. Right. Where most of them have to get jobs. Yeah. Our friend uh, Mark Baker, a, yeah. a math and physics and gym teacher at yeah. school. Who used also coaches. At, used to work at my work over the summer for extra cash. Right, yeah. Teachers Crazy. deserve so much better than what they get. All right, moving on. Anyway. Uh, penultimate storyline this morning is... Wow, we're really just rolling through this. Yeah, I've just I need to... <laughs> you need to go lie down. It's a problem. <laughs> Once we're done. Penultimate story is... Shower of shite. <laughs> on Friday, outside the florist, Amy and Jacob are talking about their broken boiler, how they can't afford to fix it, and how they both reek. Jacob would kill, literally kill, for a shower. Later, Tracy catches Amy in the rovers. She's supposed to be working. What are you doing in here? Right. And she came in to use the toilet or something? Right, yeah. Apparently there's no bathroom in the florist. Good to know. Amy's fucking reeking, so Tracy sprays her with perfume. Yes. What a horrible thing to do to somebody. Right, especially your own kid. <laughs> Back at her table, Tracy tells Steve that she worries that Amy isn't taking care of herself properly. According to Dev, according to Asha, the flat is grim AF and Amy is struggling to pay for her groceries. So Jacob and Amy are being smelly in Nina's rolls. Amy goes off back to work and then Mary comes out of the bog from doing her shite, complaining that Tracy's Tracy wanted her or sent her home to grab her order book. Right. But now she can't be arsed. So Jacob offers to get it for her if Mary gives him the keys. Right. Whew. Mary, who has decided to be lazy today, complies, grateful for his help. No raking through my knicker drawer now, she says. I promise nothing, says Jacob. <laughs> and off he goes. I love, I love the two of them the two of them are amazing they're so adorable Mm -hmm. yeah more jacob and mary scenes please because they're just i love that mary is one of the few people that are on jacob's side at this point mary feeds off these little flirtations right jacob knows this right and totally plays up to it right because any other kid in that situation would have been embarrassed right or or um, shocked or whatever right. or, or would have just ignored it right but he plays on it he does and he takes it up to another oh no ah. I'm not going to promise <laughs> and the two of them it's when so he tells cute. her to sit down as well he's so cute because he says right. park your pillows yes and she loves that as well <laughs> I'm a wee couple I'll take care of it right. it's nice so Jacob's gone round to Eileen's and had a much-needed shower, and he's links Africaing his undercarriage when Eileen comes in, screams, and orders him out. Right, because all of the stuff he should have done in the bathroom, he's doing right in the centre of the living room. <laughs> because comedy. Well, sometimes, you know, if you've been in the shower for too long and the, the bathroom's too hot, you like to stand out and... Right, but you don't stand out and then walk down the stairs. In somebody else's house. Right, <laughs> right. That you're not supposed to be in anyway, and you're only there supposed to supposedly to get an order book, right, and not to take a shower. A plot order book. Yeah. Right. Because <clears throat> here's the thing: if he had said to Mary, 
Would you mind if I took a quick shower while I was there? I'm sure she would have said yes. Mary would have been fine about that. She would have been absolutely fine. She'd have probably offered to scrub his back for him. Right. (laughs) So Mary and Tracy are at the florist and overhear Eileen attempting to murder Jacob. They race to intervene. (laughs) Eileen smash! (laughs) Jacob explaining about the order book and how their boiler at home is broken and now their leg has been turned off as well. We need to talk, says Tracy. Yes, she does. So she takes them back to number one and Jacob explains how he and Amy are struggling. Tracy points out that it's a council flat, so the council are responsible to fix stuff. But right. she, Jacob reveals that the rent book is in his sister's name and she's done a bunk and if the council find out, they'll be kicked out of the place. So Tracy tells Jacob that if he loves Amy, he'll encourage her to come home. She needs to live somewhere clean and warm and dry because she's got studies that she needs to be taken care right, of. Yeah. And Jacob seems to think about this. But nobody gives a fuck about you, Jacob. Well, he he <laughs> says that he makes a, the uh, the comment that he's used to living like this. Right. Still not great, though. No, no. And this would have been a point where Tracy kind of takes a moment to recognize her privilege here and be sympathetic, finally, towards Jacob. And That's say, what I thought was going to happen, yeah. And say, you know... Nobody deserves to live like this, including you. Even you deserve better. Right. Even you. Even you, Jacob, deserve better than to live in a moldy flat. Right. But, see, here's the thing. This boiler, it can't be just for their apartment. It can't be just for their flat. And the downstairs neighbors have been complaining about this leak to them and telling them they need to get it fixed. Why are the downstairs neighbours not going to the council? See, my flat had its own boiler in Stirling. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like a tiny one. Right. Just for a tiny flat, but yeah, it had its own. I had control over my own hot water and stuff. But that wasn't a council flat. Right. And... And again, if there's a leak going into the downstairs flat, those people should be complaining to the council. Yes. Not to Jacob and Amy. Correct. Unless they are living there illegally as well. Right. Yeah, I wonder why Amy can't pretend to be his sister. Unless the council know what Jacob's sister looks like. Right. Unfortunately, Jacob's sister has left. Uh, because she's already pushed out. She's already pushed Adam down. Off the mezzanine level of them all. Yeah. Right, yes. <laughs> Let's not forget. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they Every did bring, if they did bring her back as his sister? And people think for um You're Wait Lydia. Who's Lydia? <laughs> oh my god, you look totally like Lydia. Who pushed me off the mezzanine level of them all, says Adam. Oh that's ah. horrible. I would never do that to you. Right. Meet my child, who's ten years old and has something of a Scottish accent. Finn. Finn, yeah. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, this whole treating Jacob... That, here's Jacob confessing about the fact that he has no parents to speak of. His mother's been in and out of jail. His dad's never been around. His sister has left. And his sister sounds like his only constant. Right, yeah. But she's done a bunk on him now as well. Well, it seems like she just moved in with her boyfriend. So it's not like she's... You'd think that she could go to the council and pretend to still live there. Hmm. If she's still nearby, and it sounds like she's still nearby. It feels like there would be a way out of all of this, but that this is just 
manifesting this storyline about how Jacob can't take care of Amy. Right. So Amy has to go home. And it's really, you know, I've complained about how the show treats the poor before with the whole Gemma and... Oh, yeah. There was an opportunity to show some sympathy towards this character, and they missed it. I think that they're showing that from other people, like he, despite his dodgy introduction to the show last year, he has been accepted by the knicker people. The knicker people are all over him. <laughs> Sarah thinks he's fantastic at sales, right. which is is a great uh, attribute for him. Could you right selling knickers and selling drugs? I think is probably the. the there is a, a, a intersection of right. those skill sets. I can imagine yeah. them being being pretty good. He's got the gift of the gab, clearly. Right. Right? Absolutely. So I can see him being being really good at that. So he's fitting in quite well right. there. And now he that seems he to has, be making friends. Now that he has that new job, I would assume that that makes more money. So you'd think that it wouldn't be nearly as bad as they're making it out to be. Yeah, if he's, he's really working in a sales position right. and... Uh, and in Knicker Factory, he's got to be bringing in a, a little bit more money than running chippies all over the place in his bike. Right. And let's remember, Kirk and Beth can afford <laughs> right. a flat and to feed themselves and to take care of Peanut when they both work at the Knicker Factory. Uh, well, and Kirk's expensive medical conditions. Right. His feet. Yeah, we've got a taste of that this week. Well. <laughs> Where's Phil's feet? Smell like a baby's head. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yes. All right. Our last storyline this morning is Tim's Bobby. <laughs> this is the main story of the week. This is the this is the story that ends the week. This is the the end of week cliffhanger. Oh, on Monday, Debbie catches Tim early in the morning after his night shift on the taxis and ropes him into buying tickets for a raffle with big prizes. One of which is a pair of Weddy County box tickets. Tim can't throw his money quick enough at it and buys a tenner's worth. Other prizes include a night at a hotel. With, yeah. A free haircut. A night at the Rape Hotel with <laughs> spa treatment. A doorbell camera. The, the draw is this afternoon. Tim wakes up uh, from a nap to find Sally soaking herself in the hot tub. She invites him in, but he decides that hot water isn't good for his heart and he has to go to the bistro for and the ra- right. raffle results anyway. He is right. Hot right. water is not good for your heart. Sally announces that she will join him. So at the Bistro, the raffle's been drawn. Steve won the doorbell cam and Tim has won the top prize. Tim thinks this is the county prize, but the top prize was actually the overnight stay at Debbie's Rape Hotel, which I think is what it's called now. In neon, it says <laughs> Debbie's Rape Hotel over the door. Fabulous, says Sally. Pig's tits, says Tim. Doorbell cam, says Steve. The where the county ticket went to... Ronnie. Ronnie. Which everyone thinks is now suspicious because it was Debbie's uh, draw, right. Debbie's raffle, blah, blah, blah. And also you would think Ronnie, as the uncle of a player, could get tickets anytime he wants. <laughs> There's a thought. Because <laughs> let's remember, James is a thing on this show. Yeah. We haven't seen him in months. <laughs> but he's still a thing on the show. It's also uh, Steve's Oliver's fund Right thing that they're doing the charity raffle for. Right, so, so, so him it's winning weird a prize him winning is a bit is, dodgy. Also, yes, yes. Anyway, 
Sally is keen to get to the hotel pronto to enjoy their overnight stay and spa treatment and wine, but Tim would prefer to leave it for a few weeks. No chance, says Sally. So at home, Sally's off packing for a night in, ho- in a hotel in town, while Tim is right on his laptop looking up dodgy illegal Viagras. Well, are they dodgy? No, I don't think they are. On Wednesday, come on, Tim. Come on, Tim! Shouts Sally. But Tim is pretending to be concerned about the garden and wants to delay March further with a bacon sarnie. Sally is insistent, though. Tim maintains his fake interest in the garden. He's really looking for the postman. Absolutely. Sally's beginning to lose her patience and wants to get rocking to their intimate couple's massage. Uh-huh. On the way out, Tim grabs Gail and asks her to keep an eye out for a special package he's having delivered for Sally. But not like that. She agrees to take the package in and text him when it arrives. Then off they fuck five minutes down the street to the rape hotel. Later, Tim and Sally are being pampered. And Gail must text Tim because he makes his excuses that the gunpowder tea that they're drinking has gone right through him and he needs to nip off with the scoots. Well, it is supposed to be cleansing, says Sally. That's right. But what Tim's really doing is he's speeding home in his dressing gown and slippers. It's a form of green tea, I think. He grabs the package from Gail. And then and I like that. And then speeds back to the rape hotel. So back there, Tim has his pills now, but has to hide them as Sally comes back from her massage. They make plans to get wired into the champagne and Tara Masalata. He's looking forward to rogering her properly now, and Sally nips off for a shite, allowing Tim to start necking his meds, washing them down with champagne. Yeah, which is not a great idea. And even Tim should realise that. I'm going to hate myself for saying this. But there's a point where Tim opens up his dressing gown to, uh-huh. to hide his illegal uh, or his pills his little blue pills and then to retrieve them right and what if, what if, do we not see and for a man who had a triple heart bypass a mere weeks ago yeah his chest is looking remarkably clear of a scar or any type of bandaging right yes there should be a massive scar there <laughs> you should have thought so so Tim and Sally burst into the room in the throes of passion when Tim notices that his heart is racing and he's out of breath and he's getting all clammy and he falls on the bed telling Sally about the unprescribed pills and begs her to call an ambulance. At the hospital, Sally is not happy when Tim starts lying at the doctor and then he gets all embarrassed as Sally talks about his trouser problems. The doctor says the meds are fine and Tim's probably just had a panic attack. He gets it all clear so they head back to the rape hotel again. Sally pours about 100 quid's worth of blue pills down the drain. And Tim has to admit that he never went to see Gadas in the first place and all this has been a lie. So when they finally get home, she's unhappy and he starts sniping at her. He says this has really hit his confidence and none of this has helped by Sally being a total fucking nympho. Shocked, Sally leaves Tim with his beer and heads out. She goes to complain to Gail in the Rovers, telling her about the pills. Ecstasy, says Gail. <laughs> right gail that's exactly where your head should go first is ecstasy right well i kind of i was <laughs> waiting for her to say it right because the way that, that sally's describing it when she's she says pills it does make it sound like some kind of narcotic pill right and if it's that then it really has to be ecstasy tabs doesn't it i would have thought oxy oxycodone oh, really? or you know Something of that nature, because who takes ecstasy anymore? I don't know. Do, do, is it still a thing? I would assume so, but still, you know, everybody's on these 
these painkillers these days. We're not the happy Mondays, says Sally, and they talk at length about Tim's erection. Gail explains or how, lack thereof. How, thrilled Till seemed, how thrilled Tim seemed to be doing something nice for Sally earlier. And she eventually starts opening up about the erections of the men in her life. Seemingly suggesting Sally that Sally asks. Seemingly suggesting that Richard Hillman's inability to maintain a stiffy was the reason that he killed a bunch of people. Gail suggests talking to Tim. So Tim goes to see Steve while Sally's talking to Gail. And Steve gives Tim the benefit of his knowledge afforded to him from a library card and tells Tim to tell Sally that he hears her. Tim is careful not to spell out too much of his problem to Steve. But back home, Tim listens to Sally, apologises, tells her that he's listening to her and promises to go and see Gadas for reals this time. He asks Sally to keep all of this between themselves though. He couldn't face the humiliation if this got out and Sally starts eating her own face as Tim nips upstairs. So today, Tim went from home to the hotel, back to the street to Gales, back to the hotel, to the hospital, back to the hotel again, and finally back home. Yes. Whew, busy old day. Yes, I can't believe they didn't keep him a little bit longer in that hospital. At least until, you'd think that they would have kept him on for observation, at least until the the pills wore off. Yeah, well... Considering he had triple bypass surgery just last month. Right. Yeah, even if it is a panic attack. And they they want to get panic attacks out, otherwise Mm -hmm. the hospital would be filled with people having panic attacks. Right. So Friday next morning, and Tim is still apologetic for yesterday and for blaming Sally. She's having fun clearing out the fridge. Waving a, a wilted cucumber at him. Right, yeah. He, prom- <laughs> he promises to get his bobby checked out and she urges patience and to keep talking. Tim and Sally bump into Debbie and Ronnie who have heard about the ambulance drama at the rape hotel. Sally blames it on a trapped nerve. That's what you get for fucking Tim too hard, Sal, says Debbie, and everyone laughs. <laughs> at the factory, Sally has a quick word with Gail, checking to make sure that Gail knows to keep stum about Tim's bobby. Gail suggests that the two of them, that's uh, Sally and Tim, that is, mm-hmm. do something to take their mind off the problem. And Sally has just the notion. So later in the Rovers, Steve has shown off his doorbell cam to Tim and Dev and they enjoy spooking Gail. Dev shouting on her to flash her arse. <laughs> Gail runs away into the road and is knocked down by Kathy <laughs> and killed. That was very, that was very funny. Moody Gail! <laughs> Gail's like, ah! Later still, Sally finds Ronnie in the Rovers and has a proposition for him. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. Later still, still, at street cabs, Tim is watching Steve's door cam and sees and hears Sally and Ronnie chatting about the flop of a romantic getaway and how Sally's secret is safe with him. Tim runs off to put a stop to this and he approaches Ronnie and Sally. Ronnie tells him to relax, so Tim punches him, accusing him of cutting his grass. Outraged, Sally explains that Ronnie had agreed to give them his complimentary Weather County ticket that he won in the raffle. Oh, says Tim, and he scurries away. That's this week's punch. Someone if punching someone else in the face and getting away with it. The punch <clears throat> of the week. It's just so. How do we get these characters either out of a situation or into a situation and using the kind of toxic. Masculinity. <clears throat> the idea that Tim would punch Ronnie is ludicrous. Because Ronnie and get would get away with it. Because Ronnie would kill him. 
Right. And Ronnie says that. He's like, right. you're lucky this wasn't 10 years ago or you'd be back in the hospital. Uh, right. And nobody would blame him. No, nobody would blame him. I mean, if Tim honestly thinks that because he can't get it up, Sally's getting it on with Ronnie, I can understand him being upset. But how on earth can he believe that's what's going on here? Right. When Sally very much wants to get it on with him. She's given, she's certainly given him the impression that that's what she's looking for, right? Right. More than once. Going out of her way. So, that, yeah, it just feels like it's a... Uh, we need something to go into the break with. Right. So, punch somebody. And I'd rather... In the that, street. I really wish that they came up with something else to go into the break with, because it's... I don't know, it's not funny. No. And it happens way too often. And they try to make it funny later on, you know, in the social meds and stuff, the show does. Right. Because remember when they tried to do that with the whole Steve thing? Oh, and with Abby punching Imran. Imran. That, that was supposed to be funny as well. Right, and Steve punching Jacob was supposed to be funny. <sighs> it's just not funny. It's not funny. Gail saying ecstasy was funny. That was very funny. <laughs> ecstasy? It just makes it... F- the, the only thing that harms in the street is men punching each other. Right. And then men using women to... women's Men using women's suffering to learn a lesson. Obviously. Those are the two things that happen on the street. And that's it. <laughs> At home, Sally tells Tim that he was out of control, as if she'd tell a stranger about his bobby. Tim apologises and then tries to explain how this is even worse for him than losing his hair was. He's a laughing stock, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Gadass, coughs Sally. Seriously. And she sends him off to apologise. At the Rovers, Gail walks in and overhears Steve and Ronnie chatting about Tim and gets the wrong end of the stick, assuming that Tim has confided in his friends about his problems. She's happy he's taking this step and tells Steve and Ronnie that she's going to tell him so. They two haven't a clue what she's talking about. Right, yeah. So later, Tim goes round to the Rovers to apologise to Ronnie. Ronnie allows Tim's toxic masculinity to go unreported this time. Furthermore, he even gives Tim the tickets after all, advising him to go home and make things right with his missus. Yes. So Gail bumps into Tim on his way out and congratulates him for speaking to his friends about his Bobby issues. A problem shared is a problem doubled, she says, but well done to you for talking about your embarrassing personal issues. Yes, says Tim. So Tim goes home, furious that Sally blabbed to Gail. She apologises, said that she needs someone to talk to. You've let me down, he says. This is my problem. This is my business, says Tim. And he storms upstairs for a shape, presumably. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I've said this before, and I will say it again. Right. I'm getting a little tired of the storyline. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and for this to be kind of promoted to be story A this week. Right. As... It, it feels like we're in a kind of a, a bit of a low at the moment in terms of storyline, the story progression. The fact that we've got Britain's Got Talent week is that next week? Uh, this coming May thirtieth, so the week after, I think. I don't know. It's coming. Yeah, May thirtieth is the week. Memorial after Day week, weekend, right? right. Thank for you. us, right? Why they don't pitch it as that? I have no idea. <laughs> You know, we're always building up to a big week of uh, drama and special effects and stunts and guns. 
Right. Which is a culmination of the storylines that have been bubbling up. This week has been a let's nudge little stories on a little bit, like the Abbey stuff. Right. But not too far. Because we've got to keep all that stuff, all that good stuff for the Britain's Got Talent week. So to have a this storyline of the Timpertons problem has been storyline A for an entire week. And how many times kind of smacks of that? How many times is he going to almost go to the doctor and then decide not to at the last minute? Go to the do- says he's going to go to the doctor. Has a a conversation that if you squint, you can kind of right understand it has been something that's talking him out of it or making right. him reconsider or realise how embarrassing it is. Right. And then he just goes back to right. telling a lie about it again yeah. and telling another lie about it again. Right. We're kind of going through the motions. We're stuck in a cycle here. Yes, of, we are. <clears throat> going to the hotel is just a, an alfresco version of Sally dressing up. It just, right. It's just another thing for it to be, to go wrong. Right. To make, it, to make matters worse. So we've been here before. Right. We've and it done gives this us before. an opportunity for Sally to tell Gail that dressing up in a nurse's outfit is just not doing it anymore. Yeah. A PVC nurse's outfit. Right. Got to get some well, rubber fetish in there it, as well. It would right? have to be PVC because you can just wipe that clean. Oof. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You knew that the doorbell cam was going to have a. Right, a yeah. pivotal plot point to of play, course it you? was of course it was why introduce it's Chekhov's Chekhov's door cam door cam <laughs> can you speak to people through those things yes can you yes that surprised me that's kind of the point of them is that you can say you know oh, of course right. just, just, just leave it there you know or if somebody's trying to break in you can say, hey, what are you doing? And scare them off. Right. Oh, I'm calling the police, you. Right, yeah. I see you. You with your hat and your sunglasses. And your fake mustache. And your UPS. Oh, sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah, so. We're not in. Anyway. That's the week that was. What is your moment of the week? So in addition to all this. Right. There yeah. was also the, the, the scene, it was towards the start of Friday's episode of mm-hmm. Gail and Eileen taking some flowers to mark the uh, the five-year anniversary of the Manchester Arena bombing where I think 23 people right. lost their lives, shown off the bench that is dedicated to Martin, Martin Het, who was a Corey, Corey superfan. Super and someone who has an, had an influence on some of the stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. Martin, I think, was, if he wasn't the first person, he was certainly one of the people who made a YouTube video of Audrey's noises. <laughs> of the Audrey hymns. So right. he kind of pioneered, as far as I was concerned, the, the Audrey hmm right. video, which is what inspired me to make videos of my own of uh, Sally saying the, the girls. girls and Fred making noises right. and Sean doing his little spin and, and all those sort of things. So yeah. he, um, he was memorialised uh, after he lost his life at the uh, Manchester Arena bombing on the... On the show. On the plaque on the on the bench. So there was it was a very moving scene. 
it was lovely to have Gail and Eileen be the ones to do it, you yeah. know, because they kind of buried the hatchet temporarily saying, you know, some things are more important. Some things are bigger than us. Right. And I thought that was really lovely. Yeah. And there's a sentiment uh, that is expressed during that by Gail. And it's a sentiment that you hear, you know, going back as far as uh, the Ibrox disaster where, where people lost their lives at a football match in mm-hmm. Hillsborough when people lost their lives at a, at a football match that they went out to do something really just ordinary and and unremarkable and they never came home and right you know so it's not like these people went off to war or whatever you know they, they went out for some entertainment they went out for a night out they never came home and there's something just really stark about expressing that that makes you makes you really appreciate you know how lucky they're but for the grace of god right. go i kind of thing right yeah, I, you know, and, you know, Gail mentioning the fact that, you know, even Lily really likes Ariana Grande. So there's this personal thing of, would you send your kids to a concert if you knew something like this is possible? And it really, you know, especially after after the the Buffalo massacre this week here in the States, where all of those people were just grocery shopping right. and we're just mowed down by by this person right it's the banality of it right. sometimes right you know and and somebody somebody on twitter said something about how you know i've been looking for the exits since columbine and you know that's that's something you and i have talked about about the fact that ever since not not columbine for me um but definitely since since the uh, the Augusta, not Augusta, the the movie theater Colorado, in, in Colorado, you know, whenever I go to the movie theater, whenever I go to church, you know, we're always looking for the exits. Oh yeah, I always look for the exit. Yeah. No matter where I go, if I'm going in anywhere, yeah. I'm enclosed. That's how do how do I get out of here if I need to? Right, and where do I duck? If cover? I can't get out, yeah, right. You know, and to to live in a society where you kind of have to think about that sort of thing all the time. It's yeah, and I think Gil's point as well is that it, it could have been, you know, there, there's no reason why it happened five years ago. Right. It could have happened five days ago. Exactly. It could have been Lily. It could have been anyone. It right. could have been any one of them. It could have been them going to the concert to pick people up. And, right. You know, so there's no, there's no telling, there's no planning, there's no reason for it. And yeah. I don't know. I think it was just a really nice, just a scene. They didn't overplay it. They right. didn't make it, uh, you know, a a, a, a plot for right. for the episode. It was just a scene where they just kind of very solemnly paid their respects. Yes, doing it in a fictional setting, but doing it for for the real people of Manchester who who, lost who were lives. affected by yeah. it and, and who never came home from the concert. It was yeah. kind of remarkable. Absolutely. So if you're about to ask me what my moment of the week was, that was that. That was absolutely the moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Hmm. I want to say Daniel's interview, but that wasn't yeah, actually boring. Yeah, it was, it was too good. But it was, I enjoyed uh, it too much. Daniel and Ken prepping for his interview. <laughs> Daniel giving his sample answers. And Ken, and Ken going, yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Rubbing his nipples as he says it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think so. I think that's a boring moment of the week. All right, you need to go back to bed. Holy shit, do I need to go back to bed? (laughs) This is the longest you've been up in over a week. Longest I've been up and the most I've spoken since probably two weeks ago. This is... My poor darling. So tiring. Because we've got through two weeks worth in just over an hour and a half. So I I think we've kind of flown through it at breakneck speed. Hopefully we can get back to our normal... Tangents and, and it goes without saying, y'all get vaccinated, get the booster because you are vaccinated and you've had the booster oh and my it's God. still knocked you out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you hadn't been vaccinated? I can't, my, my brain is not working properly at the moment, but and, got- and I, if I've already said this, I apologize. But while I don't think I came close to dying from this. I can understand how people die from this. Yeah. Because if that had gone into my lungs, I think I would have been fucked. And I think it's the vaccination and the boosters that kind of kept it out of that. Right. But it never was really respiratory for me. It was fever and it was just the worst flu you've ever had in your life. And yeah. And the after effects of it are almost almost as bad. Yeah. And it also must be said... Thank you to everyone who has reached out and wished Gav and us well yeah, through really all of appreciate this. It. As, as I said in the beginning, this has been a very, very stressful time for the whole family. The kids and I, thank God, have not caught it. Mm-hmm. We've, been, we've been very good and very careful. And quarantine works, y'all. <laughs> right. So, Yeah, it's, I think it's just a nice little reminder of, you know, the the kind of community that goes around about Coronation Street, that goes around about our Twitter and our podcast yeah. and just a wider Cory community, just really nice to get so many messages of Absolutely. Of get well soon and good health. It's really appreciated. And Absolutely. And it seems to have worked. So yeah. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and hell on the coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back, hopefully, next week with more. Another street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.